Who are you texting? My therapist. You text with your therapist? Text, video chat, call. Yep, that sounds too easy. How did you find her? I just went to betterhelp.com slash save. She's a licensed therapist and it's all online. I connect when it's convenient for me and don't waste time driving anywhere. Plus, it's affordable. I wonder if I should try it. It's great to talk to someone in confidence. She's helped me sort out quite a few things. And right now you save 10% off the first month when you go through betterhelp.com slash save. Betterhelp.com slash save. Got it. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Reel Me In, colon, a movie podcast where you didn't really ask for it, but hey, I'm going to give it to you anyways. This is a podcast where I talk about anything, everything, and anything about movies. I'm your host, Chase Lee, and hey guys, listen, if you were searching on the internet for, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, like some random recipe to like send to your, your loved one in jail because you want to try to break him out and you accidentally came across my podcast and you're not a movie fan... Well, hey, maybe I can convince you to be one. So this is episode 118, guys, and uh, uh, if you are new to this program, uh, what I do is I go over some movie news, some movie trailers, and uh, I will have my reviews for Risen and The Witch for this weekend, and uh, of course, box office results for the weekend, and then we'll close this bitch out, and you guys can go home, sleep, and masturbate, whatever whatever you guys do on Sundays. I'm not going to judge, because we, we all do that, and you know... Depending on which order. Um, so anyways, uh, yeah, as, if you guys are watching on YouTube right now, you guys can see at the bottom right here that I actually have the um, the headers working. I have the uh, lower third. So the cool thing about this is that I have every section labeled. So if I am talking about the movie news, I will have the movie news banner up. Movie trailers, that banner up. When I'm talking about each movie, I will have that banner up. So you can actually, actually skip around. Um just scrub through the video and uh, see whenever the banner changes, then you can uh, just stop right there. So that way, if you want to skip a part, or if you just want to like um, start the video and go straight to the end for whatever weird reason, you can do that. So uh, yeah, and then if you're listening to Spreaker or iHeartRadio, uh, you know, welcome back and everything. And I will have a link in the video description for a video version for the YouTube, and then for YouTube, uh, vice versa, you get an audio-only version if you want that as well. So, let's get started, guys. I'm only I'm by myself today, so uh, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's get into some movie, movie news. So, um, it, there was some news that uh, dropped this week that was somewhat interesting, some speculation, and then some just fucking why. Uh, so, uh, there was a lot of casting news. Now, now I reported on the show... A while back that uh, Emily Blunt, whoops, I, I just ruined that for you, um, that Mary Poppins, the sequel, was coming and, uh, you know, it's going to be really hard to kind of replace Julie Andrews, and the new story is that Emily Blunt is in talks to play Mary Poppins. This news is awesome. Like, seriously, okay, no, Julie Andrews, who played the original Mary Poppins back in the day, no one can replace her. She is Julie fucking Andrews. However... When you throw the name like Emily Blunt around, I'm actually okay with it. Like, she actually would fit perfectly into that role. Now, I don't know whether they're doing, like, a straight-up sequel and they're, you know, jumping ahead in years or if like they're doing a prequel and they're going back or whatever. Um, but I can tell you this. Emily Blunt's got talent. She's got charisma. She's very, very pretty. Uh, she's a very talented actress, especially watch Sicario. If you guys are not convinced about Sicario, then uh, that will change your mind about her. But her playing Mary Poppins is actually a really good choice, and I would have never thought about that. She, if you kind of look at her next to Julie Andrews, like when she was um, 
playing Mary Poppins back in the day, they almost look like they could be siblings. So I think this is a great choice. I hope uh, Emily Blunt signs on that dotted line for uh, Mary Poppins too. I'm totally down for that. That that just sounds delicious, like super delicious. Um, the next piece of news is that uh, it's another casting news is that uh, a few weeks back I reported that Aaron Sorkin, the, the infamous writer behind Steve Jobs, The Social Network, The West Wing, The Newsroom, he is having his directorial debut in Molly's Game, which is like a, in short, it's a, you know, a gambling uh, book. Um, it's a fictional book, but uh, he's going to tackle on that and he's also going to write it as well. Now they're in talks to add Jessica Chastain as the main character. Um, sign me up, please. Not only am I excited to see how Aaron Sorkin takes uh, uh, one of his scripts and directs it because he's never directed before. This is his debut. And I'm really excited to see what kind of cast he comes up with because you know when Aaron Sorkin writes his fucking scripts, it is going to be immaculate. It is going to be tight. It is going to be just fast dialogue and it's all going to make sense. It's just going to hit you all at once like a freight train. You're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Uh, Don't stop. So adding Jessica Chastain to this, I think is a very good move. The first time I ever saw her was, uh, I think it was Lawless. And what a, what a great way to <laughs> introduce me to her with that movie. Um, cause she was topless. That's what, cause I'm pervy, I guess. Um, but no, after that, you know, I saw movies like, uh, Zero Dark Thirty and I never saw A Most Violent Year, but I hear that one's pretty, pretty good with Oscar Isaac. <clears throat> but, uh, when you watch movies like Zero Dark Thirty, I think the movie's fine overall, but like towards the tail end of the movie, when you can kind of see like the dread and the pressure on on her character and at the very end on how it ends and stuff, it's pretty pretty powerful and it all has to go into uh, Chastain's acting. And uh, she's just an up and coming talent that I just I can't wait to see in uh, no matter what she does. Like uh, I'm actually curious about the Huntsman movie, uh, even though I didn't see the first one, nor do I really care about it. So I mean, when you add because um, speaking of Emily Blunt, she's going to be in The Huntsman as well. So when you add talent to a project, I'm going to be more willing to go see it. So Aaron Sorkin already writing and directing has intrigued me. But now Jessica Chastain is in talks. Fuck yes. So I, I hope this happens. Um, it seems like she would be perfect for an Aaron Sorkin movie. And uh, I, I want to see where it goes. Uh, the next piece of news is that Blade Runner 2 is coming. Now, um, the first Blade Runner was directed by Ridley Scott and starred Harrison Ford. And it uh, didn't really do well back in the day. It gained a cult following and now it's regarded as one of the best science fiction films of all time. Now the sequel is coming and it comes out in uh, 2000, whatever I tell you, 18 and... It's going to start Harrison Ford again. It's going to have Ryan Gosling. Roger Deakins is going to shoot this thing. Yes. And it's going to be directed by Denis Villeneuve. And he did uh, Prisoner's Enemy and uh, recently Sicario. I'm excited for the project. Uh, just because of the talent behind and stuff. Even though I haven't really finished Blade Runner. I own it. But I only watched half of it. I just haven't finished it. I know. I know. You can throw your fucking pitchforks at me. Just you know, don't don't hit my uh, my face. Um, I'm all, I'm all looking forward to this. But the news is the release date was announced. They're going to release this movie in January. January 12th to be specific. Why? Like this movie seems like it would be like a, a tail end of the summer or like the fall or something. Maybe in a movie, a movie that could be considered for Oscars and stuff. 
I've never found it to be a January movie. And January, like you guys know, is like the shit grounds for, you know, terrible movies. Actually, I've been somewhat surprised by this year. Um, it's really funny. Like, The Boy, I think, was my favorite <laughs> January movie. Um, I think. I'll have to go back. But, uh, yeah, usually January and, like, maybe some of February. It's just it's just not good months. Like, no one wants to go out. And they're all, like, stuck at home and stuff. They just don't want to you know, uh, motivate themselves to go to the theater. And I totally get that. But the fact that Blade Runner 2 is going to be released in January kind of fucking scares me. Because Denis Villeneuve, he's one of my favorite up-and-coming directors. I absolutely love Prisoners, which is his most successful one. And then Enemy was extremely underrated. No one ever talks about that. And then Sicario was in my top ten of last year. Uh, And Sicario actually did a lot better than uh, Enemy, but still... Denis Villeneuve is one of these directors to where he deserves the attention. He does. Because every film he makes is immaculate in terms of the the visuals and the acting and just the gripping stories that he has with his movies. He deserves a whole lot more. So the fact that they're sticking it in January kind of frightens me. Now, I heard that Blade Runner 2 is being made by Alcon and they just released Point Break, that stupid remake in December, and they lost a shit ton of money. Uh, when we get to the box of results, if I remind myself, I will tell you how much. But they lost a lot of money. So I'm wondering if they're sticking it in January because they just don't have enough for marketing. They just don't. They have enough to make it and they have enough to release it. And releasing it in January, the dumping grounds uh, will save them money. But at the same time, like that just doesn't seem like a January movie. Like People will go out uh, during Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend and go, yay, let's go see Blade Runner 2. No one's going to say that fucking cold months and stuff and like you know the movies are not like where people want to go so i don't know i just i feel like this movie should deserve a lot more attention especially with the talent behind the camera and the fact that it's a sequel to a beloved cult classic i don't know it just boggles my fucking mind that they're opening in january but hey maybe they'll uh, set the trend for uh biggest grossing uh january movies because deadpool did that with february so we'll see the next piece of news is that Oh, Transformers. Good, good, good old Transformers. Um, Yeah, I'm not really looking forward to number five, like, at all. And I gotta tell you, them coming out with one every single year just kind of, like, it makes my soul kind of cry a little bit. Like, my soul like, actually wants to leave my body and, like, go cry in the corner. So I just want to pat it on the head, its head and, like, it, it's, it's okay. It's, it's okay. Okay, so Paramount wants to milk the Transformers franchise to death. I get that, but at the same time, make quality films. They want to do spinoffs. And by spinoffs, I mean they want to focus on Transformers. Now, the story that's coming out is that Paramount wants to do a spinoff of Bumblebee. Okay, so every Transformers movie is about the length of a a Lord of the Rings movie. So what you're sitting there and telling me is that Bumblebee will be three hours of this giant-ass robot um, made out of, uh, you know, the most recent Yellow Camaro. And he's just going to be walking around Earth and just spouting off shit. Because Bumblebee is the one that uh, communicates through a radio. So that's how he talks. He picks up airwaves and he communicates through the radio. So... Is this just going to be a whole movie of, like, radio excerpts? Like, how is this going to fucking work? How are you going to be concentrated for two hours on one soul Transformer? The one thing I've always disliked about the Transformers movies is that Michael Bay can shoot action 
but he can't keep a camera steady. So you can't really tell who's fighting half the time. And, you know, people go to these Transformers movies to see action and the Transformers in groups and stuff, but they don't see it. Like, an Optimus Prime movie, maybe, but Bumblebee's kind of like a side character. He just is. And now, is he like Optimus Prime's right-hand man? In the movies, kind of. I just... A Bumblebee spinoff? Why? Who the fuck is going to pay to see that? Who's going to wake up one morning and go, Oh, I should see that. Oh, man, I should see that Bumblebee spinoff. Because I just looks really good. I, I just want to hear a, a fucking Camaro talk through a radio the entire time. That sounds fucking delicious. No, it doesn't. You stop it. So, this is just awful. I, I don't, I don't want to hear about this. I don't want to know any more about it. I just wanted to go die uh, in Paramount's idea vault and never come out again. It just... It's stupid. But you know what? Since these movies make a shit ton of money, Paramount's gonna fucking make it. So, not really too happy with that news, but whatever the fuck. Alright, and then the last piece of news. Now, Deadpool is Radar, and he is a Marvel comic book character, and he fucking slayed the box office and made it its bitch. Now, the news is that Wolverine 3, Hugh Jackman's final film is aiming for a rated R now. Let me just say this before I tell you my thoughts on that. Movie studios. Me and you. Mono a mono. Do not have this fucking trend of superhero films that are rated R because Deadpool was successful. Fuck it. No. Don't jump on any trends, okay? The reason Deadpool worked is because that's that type of character, okay? Not every superhero movie needs to be rated R. And on a side note, it was not the first one, by the way. I don't know why people say it's the first one. Fucking Blade was the first one, motherfuckers. Do you guys remember that from the 90s? Yeah, that's a Marvel property. And that was Radar, and that was that was pretty awesome. Um, so there's been plenty of graphic novel and comic book adaptations that have been Radar. Now that Deadpool is super successful at it, now I can see theaters trying to make everything Radar now. It's the same thing that happened with uh, James Cameron's Avatar back in 2009. That thing came out, it was super successful, it's still the highest grossing movie of all time worldwide, and it was released in 3D. And every single movie after that was like 3D this and 3D that, and it fucking gets annoying. Do I mind seeing movies in 3D? No. But they need to fucking stop it, because not every movie needs to be in fucking 3D. So, Hollywood likes to follow trends. So that's all I wanted to say is, for the love of everything that is fucking holy... Don't make everything radar just because Deadpool was successful at it. Have that be its own thing and keep the X-Men PG-13. However, Wolverine being rated R. I'm actually okay with. Wolverine is the type of character to where if you read the comics and you can kind of get a sense of his character, this guy is brutal. He doesn't curse that much. I mean, he uses foul language, uh, He's like uh, one of the main reasons uh, uh, they get slapped with that PG-13 rating in every X-Men movie because he's like one of the only people that say the F word. Um, But that's just him though. He's kind of like that tough fucking dude that you see at a bar and you don't want to fuck with. He is violent. He's got a dark uh, past. He does curse every now and then. And uh, I'm sure for all you ladies out there, every time we see an X-Men film, we always see Hugh Jackman's ass. So I just think... Wolverine would be fine with Radar. I want to see him be as violent as possible. Because the thing with the Wolverine, the one that came out in 2013, 
that was supposed to be rated R. And if, uh, I heard like on the Blu-ray, one of the Blu-ray versions, there is an R-rated on an R-rated cut. I didn't see it. I own the regular version, and the regular version is fine. But I would love to see Hugh Jackman and Wolverine character come to life and be as violent as possible because that's what he is. This is a guy that has fucking six equivalent knives just coming out of his fucking hands, and in the comics, like you can see him uh, slay these people, and it's brutal. So why not go there? Wolverine's that type of character. Um, now, if we're making like um, I don't know, like a Magneto or Professor X origin story, that doesn't need to be Radar. I don't think so. Um, X Force, that could be an argument to be made for Radar. Deadpool, sure. And then Wolverine, I'm okay with. So having Wolverine Radar, if they go this route for the third one, I am totally okay with that. I think it fits the character, and I think it would be like one of the best send offs ever. To this, uh, to this character, you know, send off to Hugh Jackman and make it like a true Wolverine, no holds bar, you fucking go for it type of movie. With that being said, though, Hollywood, do not make every movie rated fucking R now because, oh shit, well, Deadpool was, that was successful, so we should, we should, guys, we should probably fucking do it. No, you shouldn't. You go sit in your fucking corner. No, we don't. We don't need that shit. And plus, we already got like comic book and graphic novel adaptations that are radar, and they do just fine. Watchmen is one of my favorite ones. Three hundred, Deadpool, Punisher, Blade. These are all radar, folks. Not everything needs to be radar, but the Wolverine three being radar, I think it works for his character. Um, and if they do an X Force movie, which they are planning on doing. If that one's radar, I'm okay with that. It's basically like a band of anti-heroes, so they always walk that thin line of uh, what's good and what's uh, what's you know bad or whatever. So I would be okay with Next Force's radar because they have um, their morality is a little bit more blurred, so it makes more sense. But Wolverine being radar, I'm totally okay with. So that is it for the movie news, guys. Um, if you want to comment on any of the uh, the news stories or whatever, you can comment in a place where I'll put my face and let me know. All right, let's get on to some movie trailers for the week. The new trailers that came out this week. Oh, boy. Uh, bu- buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to get fucking bumpy. All right. I got to tell you, out of the five I'm going to talk about, I only liked two of them. Yeah, it was one of those weeks. So, the first one I want to talk about is The Boss. Now... I've already covered this trailer numerous times, but this was the second Red Band trailer, so I was like, okay, so maybe they're hiding all the good stuff because they've only shown Green Band so far, and they've shown one Red Band, but it wasn't even that Red Band. I still don't like it. It's just one of those movies that it just... (sighs) Okay, it stars Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Bell, and I'm not blaming Kristen Bell. I'm blaming more of Melissa McCarthy and her husband because uh, Ben Falcone, which I think is a very funny guy on his own, you know, they did Tammy last year, and I heard Tammy was, like, critically panned. I didn't see it, uh, so I can't really comment on it. But there was so much negative backlash on that movie. They came back and did The Boss, and just watching the trailer for The Boss, I can see why people hated Tammy. It just, it doesn't look funny at all. It looked everything, like, everything was forced. All the jokes I've already seen before, like, you know, Girl Scouts cursing and throwing shit everywhere. Kind of reminds me of Dodgeball a little bit. You guys remember that? Uh, that was a funny scene, by the way, in Dodgeball. But, uh... For the boss, I just I don't find it funny whatsoever. It just it doesn't uh, grab me at all. And even watching the second Red Band trailer, I may have maybe smirked once, and I was like, "Ugh!" If that's like the majority of the movie, fuck, I do not want to pay for it. So 
the boss red band trailer too uh let me uh let me know what you guys think uh down below what you guys think of uh melissa mccarthy in general or uh uh tammy or you know uh the boss or whatever i like melissa mccarthy quite a lot i'm looking forward to ghostbusters but dear lord i am not looking forward to this one the next one i want to talk about is peewee's big holiday and uh my buddy Scott Menzel loves him some peewee, so uh, he's the only one I know that's going to be excited for it. Um, I didn't really care for it. Uh, Peewee's Big Adventure, um, which is Tim Burton's uh, first directorial movie, uh, I remember watching it as a kid. I just didn't really care for it, and I don't care for it now. Um, am I hating on this movie? No. And uh, when I go to South by Southwest next month and uh, I go with Scott to see Peewee's Big Holiday... I'm not going to groan throughout the entire time, but I, I will sit there and just be like, just be entertaining, please. I just didn't find the trailer funny at all. I, just, I mean, it was charming. It, it had like a charm factor, kind of like what Pee Wee Herman does in his movies, but eh, it's just it's whatever. Um, if I check it out at South by Southwest and it's good, I'll eat my words. But until then, it just, it looks meh. It looks okay at best. And it's got like this charming aspect about it. And it comes on Netflix uh, in almost a month, actually. So, I just... Okay, so the next trailer I want to talk about is... Okay, I'll talk about the two good ones first, and I'll get to the last one, because the last one kind of makes my head hurt. All right. The next one I want to talk about is Bastille Day, and this stars uh, Idris Elba. And uh, from what I can get, I forgot the main plot, but it's, it's just like, you know... a undercover cop story i think and you know idris elba just kicking ass and it looks like uh his version of taken and stuff it looks great i've always been a huge fan of idris elba i think he is one of the best um around and i just i'm excited to see anything he does and this looks really great it looks gritty it looks intense it looks like it could be a really good action thrill ride um yeah, if you like Idris Elba, I would just suggest you to go watch the trailer because uh, I was actually surprised by it. I was like, oh, shit, when is this coming out? I, I kind of want to see it. The next trailer I want to talk about, which, oh, man, this is my number one most anticipated for South by Southwest. Hands down, bar none, get the fuck out of here. Midnight Special, directed by uh, Jeff Nichols. Stars Michael Shannon, my boy. Um, Kirsten Dunst. Uh, who else is in it? Sam Shepard's in it. Basically, he took his cast from Take Shelter in Mud and uh, crammed him in this. Um, it, it, this just looks great. It looks like a mix of E.T. and Super 8. There's a, a shroud of mystery behind it. And I'm just like, what the hell's going on? I'm so intrigued by it. Essentially, this little boy gets uh, powers. And I'm assuming it's like through his eyes or whatever. Because like, he kind of uh, has like the Cyclops effect where he's like shooting shit out of his eyes. And, you know, the dad's like, oh, my God, we got to get you out of here. The government's trying to come after you. So it's like a cat and mouse game between uh, this little boy and this the government or whatever. And you're like, what does he have? Is he alien? Is he human? There was That's what I liked about this trailer. Sets up the tone, shows you a few clips, shows you some acting, and you are hooked. You just are because I don't know anything about this movie besides the basic premise of the little boy. And it just there's so much suspense to it. And so much that I don't know about it, that's why I'm intrigued to see this the most. And plus, I was going to see it regardless just because I'm a huge fan of Jeff Nichols. Take Shelter and Mud are pretty damn awesome. Uh, I highly suggest you check those out. So, the second trailer, like I like the first trailer. But the second trailer blew me away. I was like, oh my god, like this thing looks 
awesome. So that is my number one anticipated for South by Southwest. I cannot wait. All right, and then the last one. Okay, folks, uh, listen, I, I'm a fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll put that out there. I think his movies are entertaining, and he's made some of the best action movies of all time. I never saw a kindergarten cop, nor do I want to. Uh, I've seen Junior, and I've seen Twins, and Arnold Schwarzenegger doing comedy is just about as efficient as when I do comedy, which sucks. So I never saw a kindergarten cop, nor do I want to, and I didn't even know they were coming out with a sequel. The final trailer that came out this week was Kindergarten Cop 2 starring Dolph Lundgren. Lundgren. Lundgren, Lundgren, Laundry, whatever. Oh, this trailer is so bad. This trailer is so bad. I, first of all, it starts out with Dolph Lundgren is Kindergarten Cop 2. He's not the Kindergarten Cop. He's the Kindergarten Cop 2. So I hope in the fucking movie they're just like, Hello, Kindergarten Cop 2. Like... For that that's mistake number one. Second of all, it looks cheap as shit. It looks like it was straight to a TV movie, um, which would have been fine if it went to TV. But no, this is getting like a Blu-ray digital download release. Ugh, gross. Uh, and then just it looks so cheesy in the jokes and stuff. And you're like, wow, this looks like a really bad kids movie. It kind of reminded me of a. I saw Daddy Daycare with uh, Eddie Murphy, but. I heard, like, I never saw Daddy Day Camp, the one with Cuba Gooding Jr., but it looked like this. It just looks so cheap and generic and it doesn't offer anything. So it was already a bad trailer. And the announcer, the tr- trailer uh, voice guy, he's, <laughs> he sounded like a, oh, fuck. Oh, man, what was it? I think of, like, I, I think when I, when I was watching, I was like, he sounds like the... The guy version of Siri. I don't know. It was really weird. Like, it was such a weird, out of place, and very cheap voiceover. And then here was the shocking thing about it. It said, come to Blu-ray and digital download. And I was like, well, I'm going to pass on that. But then the rating was down below. This thing's rated PG-13. Why? This movie looks like it appeals to the G-rated crowd. Maybe even below that. So, I don't know why it's PG-13. That just boggles my mind, um, but it's a terrible trailer. And I think the funniest thing is when they said Dolph Lundgren is, or Dolph Lundgren is a kindergarten cop too. That's what he says. So I hope they address that in the movie. Like, yo, who's that? Well, that's kindergarten cop too. Oh, thanks. I, re- I realize I'm in a shitty movie. I'm out. I'm out, skis. All right. So that is the the final trailer. Oh, woof. All right. So uh, what, what would you guys think about the trailers this week? What was your favorite? What was your least favorite? Comment in the place where open my face and let me know. My favorite, obviously, is Midnight Special, followed by Bastille Day. And the worst one was Kindergarten Cop 2, next to the boss. <laughs> and then Pee Wee was just in the middle. So that's it for the trailers, guys. Let's get it. Let's, let's, let's step aside. Let's move the plates aside. The appetizers are done. The starters are done. They are out of the way. So now, let's get into the bulk of this podcast, which is the title of this episode... Risen and the Witch, which I find really funny because Risen is a religious movie and the Witch is a witch movie about witchcraft. So it's really funny uh, how we're going back and forth um, with that. I think I'm going to start out with Risen. So uh, this is my Risen movie review and uh, I promise you guys I will be as fair as possible because I'm going to let you guys know up front right now, not hiding anything. I am not religious, and I can tell you this right now, most religious movies are shit. They just are. 
The producers of them take advantage of the audience going to see them by making a cheap-looking movie and just expecting them to be okay with it. No, I, I don't want that. Like, I want every movie, whether it's garnered to teenagers, uh, uh, little children, um, uh, adults with superhero movies, religious movies, whatever. If you're driving towards that audience, don't make your movie look like shit. Okay? That's the biggest problem I have with religious movies. It's not even the message. It's the way it's written with its terrible dialogue, its stilted acting, and its very, like, bright and uh, soft lighting, soap opera-looking film that I'm just like, I can't believe people like this stuff. I just, I I can't. Um, Now, if you go and you like the message and the story, that's fine. You do you. But I'm telling you from a technical standpoint, most religious movies are shit. Um, so with that being said, this is not a religious podcast, so I'm not going to even get into that shit. Um, I'm going to take this as a movie. Now, did I like this movie, Risen? Yeah, I kind of did, actually. Um, I thought it was really entertaining. So, uh, with that being said, uh, now you guys know I'm not going to just completely rip it apart. Uh, let's get real and break this down. Now, I remember when Son of God came out last year. Uh, I saw it and I gave it like a C minus. I just I didn't care for it. I thought the uh, the effects were bad. I thought the way it was shot was very TV movie like. And then I recently found out it was on TV and they just grabbed those episodes and put them together into a movie. And uh, you know Jesus still looks like a Hollister model. Uh, it just it just wasn't for me. Didn't really care for it. However, this one takes a different approach and a different perspective on the movie, which I really enjoy. So let's get into the directing and the writing. Now, it's uh, co-written and directed by Kevin Reynolds, and he has directed movies like Waterworld, The Count of Monte Crisco, and so he's made some pretty uh, viable movies on his um, resume, so I was actually really surprised when I found that out when I was doing my review for uh, my ch- my channel earlier this week. So, like I said, I think the one thing I appreciate the most, let's get into the pros, is the way the story was told, because it's told from the the point of view of a non-believer who is uh, played by Joseph Fiennes, who does a fantastic job, by the way. So it adds that sense of, uh, uh, like, because when, when you make a movie that's biased, it's kind of hard to bring in other people to see it. Now with this one, when you have a non-believer fueling the story, I mean, you probably know how this is going to end. I'm not going to, you know, spoil anything, but it, Shows it from both sides instead of one side. I like when movies do that. So I really appreciate the way this was told from the eyes of someone who who thinks uh, he knows everything in some parts of life and then in other parts of life he questions it like a normal human being. Why are we here? What is our purpose? Um, is there uh, something out there? We as humans, we don't know these questions. And I love when movies can address that and make them human. That's what they felt like. I didn't feel like I was watching a Bible movie. I felt like I was watching real human characters going through these situations and problems and overcoming them through this really great arc, by the way, from the main character. It was a great uh, character transformation. So I really uh, enjoy the story and the way it was told. and Because uh, it's told when Jesus is in the tomb and he escapes. So it's like the the resurrection or whatever. And I really liked the, the way that uh, Joseph Fiennes was like going after... Uh, people are going, where's the body at and stuff. And it almost felt like this really cool suspense uh, mystery type of film. And I was like, man, this is really entertaining. Like, um, 
because regardless if it's a religious movie, a superhero movie, whatever, I go into a movie to be entertained. And I can tell you I was entertained throughout the entire thing because it had a different flavor to it, a different tone that really grasped me. Um, but with the story, like I said, we focus on this guy who doesn't believe. And when he does finally see something that will question his beliefs, his whole world is shattered. And I think that is a really good kind of hook for this type of story because it's amazing when you can watch a character in a movie and they're so confident in what they know they're just like that does not exist and then when he says something does not exist and it actually exists in front of him he's a broken man and he doesn't know how to repair himself he he will never think the same way again and i love that i fucking love that so much so um the story and the character arcs and uh, just the way this film was told, I really appreciate from the writing and directing. I guess some of the cons would be, there was a couple parts of the movie that were a little too hokey for me. A little too out there in terms of, um, you know, uh, just, it felt like it was too bright and happy. And I was like, ah, you were doing really good and you just kind of threw that in there. Um, but other than that, I there's hardly anything on the uh, directing and writing that I had a problem with. Um, acting wise, Joseph Fiennes is amazing. I, I was so impressed by his performance. I've been a huge fan of him, uh, for a long time. I like both of the, uh, uh, I like Ray Fiennes as well. He plays, uh, Voldemort. But anyways, I, I love Joseph Fiennes. He, there was a couple scenes in this movie where he gave such a great, like, Oscar caliber performance. I was like, what movie am I watching? Like, this is amazing. People are actually trying to make a good film. Um, cause there's one scene in a bar when he's talking to someone that was guarding the tomb and, you know, he's questioning his own beliefs as well. It's a great conversation. I, I would recommend it just for that one scene, but he added so much weight to his character. Like in the very beginning, he is a different person from the way he is at the end. And I think it provides for a great character arc and transformation and for a great entertaining film, but his performance is just barred on the best thing about this movie. Um, I guess some of the cons would be the supporting cast. Now, not all of them are terrible. There are a few characters, like the the woman that played Mary Magdalene, um, the guy that played uh, what's his name, Abraham or jo- Joshua or Joseph. It was one of the disciples. I forgot. And you know he was pretty fine. And Tom Felton, who plays uh, uh, Malfoy in Harry Potter or whatever, he's in this movie. And he's fine. He's serviceable. Uh, so I'll give him that. Um, the person that w- played the... Uh, what's his name? Like Pontius Pilate or something like that? He's like the head dude. He's like a Caesar. Uh, uh, he he got a little hammy in a couple of parts. But overall, I thought he was really good and stuff. And believe it or not, he actually uh, spout out some of the funniest lines in the movie. Like There's actually a little bit of humor in this. I, I really appreciate it. This is kind of an all-encompassing genre film. And the one thing I will say that I really appreciate about this movie is that Jesus is portrayed by someone who isn't white and he's portrayed like an actual Arab Jew, like he like it is in the Bible. Because if you read the Bible, it says that he had dark skin, dark hair, he was kind of stubby or whatever, so he sounded like a normal fucking human back in the day. And they got an actor to actually fulfill that role, and I thought he was the best uh, portrayal of Jesus in terms of looks and stuff. And his performance was uh, pretty good too. But in terms of looks and stuff, that is the most accurate representation I've ever seen. Because I hate when movies have like the Abercrombie and Fitch Jesus, and he's like you know the brown flowing hair. He's like about as white as uh, me, and it just no. It's like 
do what it says in the Bible, and it, it makes for a better movie. And I thought the guy playing Jesus was pretty good. Um, Cinematography-wise, this... It's really weird, because during the daytime, it looked really... Uh, set e like it, it looked like they, they were on a set it looked like uh it just didn't look real it didn't look like it was grounded in reality in any way shape or form however this is why i'm conflicted with the cinematography in the way of a shot at night it looked really good it looked like a game of thrones episode so in some scenes i was like maybe it was just the way it was lit during the day i, I don't know um but the way they were it was shot at night i really enjoyed it. there was some really good uh uh, camera positions and really good uh, lighting with the uh, the characters and stuff. So the nighttime was really good, but the daytime was just eh, it was like whatever. It was like eh, it kind of looks like a set. <laughs> but overall, it, it wasn't shot poorly at all. Um, way better than Son of God. Excuse me. Um, editing wise, this movie's about an hour and forty minutes. Flew by for me. I really enjoyed the pace of this film, except for like the first like ten minutes maybe 15 minutes it was a little rocky and it took me a while to get into but i think as soon as jesus was put in the tomb that's when the movie kicked into high gear and i was like oh my god well what happened like are, which route are they gonna go is he gonna you know find someone that believes in them and is he gonna find jesus like or is he just gonna go kill people i, I don't know it was just um very conflicting for his character for joseph fines and stuff so after he was put in the tomb i felt the pace of it just it it hit its cadence, it hit its rhythm. Before that, it felt a little, uh, a little bumpy or whatnot. So overall, guys, I think this is a very good story, a very different story for uh, this type of movie. Uh, a couple of hokey scenes, but I'm still going to let that uh, slide. The acting was all around very, very good. A great portrayal of Jesus. It was shot very well at night, but the, some of the daytime stuff was kind of meh. And um, besides the first 10 or 15 minutes, I thought the rest of the movie was very entertaining and it had a nice flow to it. I was really surprised. I couldn't give uh, this movie uh, a C plus. I just couldn't because I was like, there's a lot of good aspects about it to where I'm going to give Risen a B minus. I think it's a very entertaining religious movie and it's by far the best one I've seen so far uh, in a long time. Uh, my favorite one that I've seen in recent memory was uh, Noah that came out in 2013, I believe. That one was really good. I really liked uh, Darren Aronofsky's vision of that and how it was told and how it was... Um, uh, visually told as well so yeah i'm gonna give reason to be minus i was actually really entertained and i love uh just the di different uh perspective on it i, I do I, and uh this is the type of movie to where uh even non-believers even if you don't like the movie they have some questions in the movie to where you go you know maybe i could believe one day but for right now if you don't um you be you could be like joseph fine's character where like you you don't know what's real and what's not. You just don't. And you're going to go with the crowd until you actually physically see it for yourself or you witness something to get you uh, believing. Until then, it's not going to, uh, you're not going to change your mind. But I think this movie does open up the possibilities of, of like uh, asking more questions, you know, like, why are we here? What is our purpose? Uh, you know, what do I believe? What do I, what do I not believe? Like it's, um, it's a great movie to answer those or ask those questions and stuff and have good conversations with your friends about religion and life and stuff. So I don't know for me personally, guys, I found entertainment and it's a sue me. I'm gonna give risen a B minus. All right. So let's get into the witch. All right. So 
I've been holding back on this movie for six fucking months. And what do I mean by that? I saw this movie in September of last year. And I didn't want to review it on my channel because I figured it'd be too early. And uh, I reviewed it for the channel I, uh, Wheel of Film, the channel I went uh, down to Austin for. So I was like, I want to hold back until it comes out the weekend it comes out. And then I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it. Um, so I saw The Witch six months ago. And you're probably thinking, so, well, Chase, you motherfucker. Like, why why would you remove, review a movie you saw six months ago? You, you, you probably don't remember anything from it. Actually, I do. I remember like 95% of the movie. There might be a few scenes I'm kind of fuzzy on. But for the most part, I remember everything from start to finish. How it looked. How it felt. Um, the ending, just the acting, everything. I remember all that. So I feel like um, I can do pretty well in relaying uh, this uh, information to you. So uh, let's get real and break this down. Now, I must say before we start, The Witch is not a typical horror film. And I think when uh, little kitties go in there and they expect Ouija 2, Ouija-er, you're not going to fucking get that. You're going to get an actual good film that's more creepy and terrifying and kind of gets under your skin with its atmosphere, then fucking jump scares. Now, does this movie have jump scares? Yeah, it's got a couple, but it's not like littered with them where you're just like, it, you're just like, uh, no. Because uh, like, think, think of jump scares like acne. It's like, I would I would only want like a couple on my face because you know it's natural and stuff, but I don't want like my whole fucking face covered with it. If you have a horror film, it is okay to have a jump scare every now and then. Like maybe a couple. But if you have it every fucking two minutes... It takes you out of the movie. So that was a terrible analogy with the acne thing. So I don't know what I'm talking about. All right. So The Witch. Let's get into the writing and directing. Now, it's uh, written and directed by uh, Robert Eggers. And what I really appreciate about this movie and what I really appreciate about good horror films is the... I look at my criteria. Atmosphere, tone, cinematography, slash lighting, and for a bonus uh, score and music. Those are the four things that you need to have in order to make a successful and effective horror film. And he does just that. Besides maybe some pacing issues in the story, I thought from beginning to end, this was a nail biter. This was like a, I had my hands on my uh, armrest while I was watching this and I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. I felt the dread. I felt the misery. My heart was pounding. The atmosphere that he creates which is the 1600s uh, kind of New England territory where they, they talk like they're, uh, you know, come hither with the fucking goat. I mean, they don't say fuck, but uh, uh, come hither with the goat and get the milk and bring it to the, to the fucking house. I, I don't know, but you guys know what I'm saying. They, they spoke differently back in the day and they really captured the, the cadences and the, the breaths and the uh, wording in that type of language to where I felt like I was watching like a documentary of people back in the day versus like a movie that was made like two years ago. So I really appreciate the way it was written and uh, story-wise, it, it was it was good. It was a very, very slow burn. So I'm going to give you guys a fair warning right now. A very good slow burn. But I thought the, the interest of the witch and witchcraft in this family, because it's more of like a family drama, um, I thought that intrigued me uh, a lot and I didn't feel it drag too much. Now, like I said, there was a couple parts where I felt a little slow, but for the most part, I think they have a pretty good paced horror film that just kind of gets under your, under your skin and, uh, uh, gets, gets on your, uh, your nerves in the best way possible. So, uh, 
in terms of the way it's uh, directed and stuff, like I said, I think he really captures the atmosphere and the tone of this movie. It just looks so crisp and beautiful and haunting and disturbing all at the same time with all of its harsh shadows and whatnot. It just, oh, it's, it's so great. So besides a couple of like pacing issues and maybe the ending. As I'm talking about this, I'll see if my mind changes, but the ending, I, I kind of slash don't have a problem with. I, I don't know. It's really weird. I have a problem somewhat of the ending, but not really. I don't know. It's fucking weird. All right. Let's get into the acting. The acting is spectacular. Um, all the way from the kids to the teenagers to the parents, everyone delivers a great job. And they really capture the essence of the 1600s and really uh, spout off this dialogue and make it seem authentic and natural. Like That's the most hard part about this movie is making this dialogue feel like it is grounded in that time frame, the actors do just that. There are a couple scenes, especially with the little boy and like the teenage girl, it's just so creepy and disturbing. I'm just like, oh, like I, you just feel dirty after watching it. Like, um, there's some really great scenes with these uh, actors, and uh, that's really all I can say about the acting. It's just all around fantastic job, and I think nailing that dialogue and making it seem believable in that time frame, it, it's high praise. Cinematography-wise, now this film won Best Director and Best Cinematography, I, I believe Cinematography, at Sundance last year. Not this past year, but last year. And this is a gorgeous film. I love the bleak grays and blacks in this movie. Like, nothing is colorful about this movie. It is so dreary and it is so depressing. But it kind of fits with the mood of what the family is going with because, you know, something happens early on to where... They're pretty much miserable throughout the entire thing, and they're just kind of like trudging along the movie trying to uh, figure out what happened and how to make it work and stuff. So the cinematography is very uh, heavy in the blacks and the grays, but the way it's filmed, it's almost like The Revenant in terms of it feels like natural uh, lighting, and it feels so just beautiful and haunting out in those forests and the trees and you know their their little cabin and stuff. I just felt the cinematography was just, oh, so gorgeous. It's, it, it just, you are soaked into that beautiful kind of a disturbing world and it just it makes for some great visuals there's some shots in this movie that you're just like well damn like i want that as like my thumbnail for this movie it just uh the cinematography is just so uh gorgeous and uh like i said haunting at the same time especially when it's with its dreary colors editing wise this is where people have the most problem i don't think most people like the story and i also don't think most people like the pacing of this film this is a slow burn. Now, two years ago when Foxcatcher came out, I love Foxcatcher. But I can tell you and admit to you, that movie is about as slow as a fucking snail. And you really got to be interested in the story to um, make it to the end. Like I said, there are a few parts for me that were slow. For most people, I'm warning you right now. This whole fucking movie is going to seem very slow to you. And I don't think you're going to really enjoy it. If you don't like slow burns, you will not like this. If you're looking for like a really gory, like, you know, fast-paced horror film, jump scare after jump scare, you ain't going to get this. This is a this is a real film that has good cinematography, good acting, a good creepy story. This is what horror movies should be like. They should create the atmosphere and create the tone to get into you. Like... That's what I liked about Foxcatcher, because it was almost like a horror film. It latched onto you like a fucking snake and did not let go. And you're sitting there just feeling so uncomfortable, but that's what a horror movie's job is to do, is to make you feel uncomfortable and um, just creep you out. 
That's a great horror film, and that's exactly what this movie does. I This movie is like a match. You strike the match, and it's fucking burning. And you're like, oh my god, oh my god, it's going to get down to the, the end of the, the match or whatever. And then this is where... I'm going to say I don't like the ending. Um, and here's why. Uh, I'm not going to say the ending. I'm not going to ruin it for you guys. But I will say the ending is very abrupt. And it kind of goes... It just kind of makes you go, Oh, wow. Is, is there more? Is, I, I'm really confused. Is that how it's going to end? Because the whole time I was talking about it, I was like... Do I like the ending or do I not? Because I still think about it to this day. Because it was one of those endings where... Like, I was sitting in my chair at this point. I'm like, Oh my god. And then the end happens and then the movie's done. I was like, okay. So it was kind of like, it was somewhat climactic, but kind of not. It's really weird. The ending is going to divide people, and some people might walk out going, well, that was a fucking waste of time. And then some people will go, wow, that kind of left me uh, with chills down my spine uh, type of deal. So I'm going to say it's half and half for me. I think in one hand, it does leave you kind of like, uh, kind of shocked and um, just overall like uh scared out of your mind when the ends you're just like what just happened but at the same time i feel like it felt it felt like a very typical hollywood movie type of ending and i just i don't know i have to see it again but i do remember the ending very very clearly the build-up to the ending is very great because you're like what the fuck is going on I don't know. Just when you guys see it. So the ending is going to be very polarizing and so is the pace of the film. But for me personally, besides a few slow parts, I think it's a very well uh, slow burn that will just get under your skin. So The Witch, guys. This is a great modern horror film. And it's actually on my top 10 of the year right now until I see 10 other films that knocks it out of the way. But for right now, I can officially put it on my list because I, I saw it last year. I was waiting for it to come out this year. It's a great horror film, guys. It's soaked in the atmosphere, soaked in that tone. It just it captures the 1600s so well. It's so, so damn creepy. And I fucking love it. And the only reason I'm going to drag it down to this grade is because the ending, It's I still don't know what to think about it. But overall, guys... I'm going pretty high. I'm giving The Witch an A minus. It's a really good horror film. Kind of reminds me of uh, It Follows from last year on how It Follows was pretty, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of influential in the horror horror genre last year. That's how I kind of feel about this one. So, have you seen Risen or have you seen The Witch? If you have, comment the place where up in my face and let me know. So, let's get on to the box office results. Uh oh shit! I don't have a header for it. Whoops, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> I'll just put the the title of the podcast. All right, so let's get into the box of results for the weekend, guys. All right. So coming in at number five, well, actually we had three movies come out this week. We had Race, The Witch, and Risen. So just keep that in mind. Race came in at number six with seven point two million. I didn't really think this movie was going to do well, anyways. I kind of want to see it, but my car is inoperable right now, so I can't just, you know, walk around everywhere. So, um, yeah, that's not really that much. All right, number five is How to Be Single with $8.2 million. On a budget of 38 domestically, which is the U.S. and Canada, it's got $31 uh, million, and worldwide it's got 55 eh, It needs to make about 72 75-ish with the marketing to break even. Doesn't doesn't really look like it's going to do that. All right, number four is The Witch 
with 8.6 million. I, that's actually really good. I, I didn't even think it was going to get that much because it's such a niche horror film, you know, because it's, it's like a horrific Stanley Kubrick movie, you know, or like uh, the movie Under the Skin um, from 2014. I really love that one, and that one's not for everyone, so I, I, I totally get it. But for uh, this movie, that's really good. Uh, worldwide, it doesn't have any numbers, and its budget is unlisted, but 8.6, not bad for that movie. Number three is Risen with 11.8 million. Respectable, because usually religious movies, they'll hit anywhere from like 10 to 20 opening weekend. Uh, its budget is 20 million, and uh, right now domestically, there's no worldwide numbers. It's 11.8, so it needs to make about 40-ish to break even. Um, I think it'll have uh, value in the weeks coming ahead. I think people will still want to go see it and stuff. Number two, Kung Fu Panda 3 with 12.5 million. And its domestic haul up right now is up to 117, and its worldwide haul is up to 279. Its budget is unlisted, but 279 is not bad. Uh, it's a little less than the other two Kung Fu Pandas, but whatever. And then number one, it is number one uh, again. That would be Deadpool with 55 more million. It opened up to 135 um, last week, so it dropped about 58.5%. Uh, so right now, oh, I'm so Okay, Deadpool's budget is $58 million. It needed to make about, what, $116, maybe... I'm going to tack on like $15, $20 because the marketing was insane and there was a lot of it. So I'm going to say about $135 to break even. They did that last weekend, by the way. Right now, domestically, Deadpool's got $235 million and worldwide's got $491 million. In two weeks this movie's almost made a half a billion dollars keep that in mind and the budget's 58 yeah 20th century fox is fucking swimming in the money right now they are scrooge mcducking it in their vaults and they're probably breaking their noses and stuff because don't dive into gold coins it's probably not a good idea but i'm sure they're super excited to move on to deadpool 2 i am as well i'm super excited to see it so fuck me man that is so much all right so that's it, guys. That will do it for this week's episode of Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. Uh, I want to thank you guys for listening uh, to episode 118. And if you're listening on Spreaker or iHeartRadio and you want a video version of this podcast and see me flail around, then link will be in the description below. If you're watching on YouTube and you want an audio-only version of this podcast and uh, you don't want to see me, I'll miss you. It's a, don't, I won't be hurt, but I will miss you. Then link will be in the description below. And uh, as far as... Uh, all my my twitters and my my, my tweeters and stuff. Uh, uh, where are we at? Oh, sorry, <laughs> clicking the wrong headers. All right, so uh, I uh, you can follow me at Real Chase Lee just right here on the header. If you want to subscribe to my YouTube page, you can do just that and get updates when I do these things live and whatnot. Um, is that is that it? is all is that all the shit? You can uh, also find me on DallasMovieScreens.com and We Live Film uh, YouTube page. And that's pretty much it. Uh, so next week, guys, episode 119. I don't know if I'm going to do it over two movies, but I can tell you for sure this is a confirmation. One of the reviews, if the only review, will be over triple nine. And I will also have a bonus episode next week. Next week, guys, join me and Terrence Page and maybe some other guests might pop up. I'm going to cover the full Oscar ceremonies, the full three and a half hours. So I'm doing two episodes on Sunday. It's going to be fucking insane. So I will have episode 119 next Sunday and 
I will cover the Oscars live on YouTube and the Spreaker um, website on Sunday night. It's going to be a lot of fun. Come join me when if you if you want to. You can if you want. If not, you know, I'll, st- I'll still love you. So uh, that will do it for this week's episode of Real Me and Colin, a movie podcast. And hey, listen, if you stuck around and you listened to this entire thing and you're not a movie fan, well, maybe I convinced you to beat one. Uh, the intro and outro music is done by my friend's band, Fervent Rose. Check them out. Link in the description below. I will see you guys next week for another episode of this craptastic show. Play me out. Where's the fucking music? Boom! 118, mother effas. Woohoo! We're getting up there. I'm getting old. I'll be 119 next week. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. Who are you texting? My therapist. You text with your therapist? Text, video chat, call. Yep. That sounds too easy. How did you find her? I just went to betterhelp.com slash save. She's a licensed therapist and it's all online. I connect when it's convenient for me and don't waste time driving anywhere. Plus it's affordable. I wonder if I should try it. It's great to talk to someone in confidence. She's helped me sort out quite a few things. And right now you save 10% off the first month when you go through betterhelp.com slash save. Betterhelp.com slash save. Got it. Mattress Firm's year-end sale ends Tuesday. It's your last chance to save up to $400 on America's best-selling brands, like a Serta Perfect Sleeper Queen mattress, now just $499. Or take home a free adjustable base with qualifying mattress purchase. Visit mattressfirm.com or a store near you to try your perfect bed today. Hurry in, this sale ends Tuesday. Your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm. Offer valid with qualifying purchase. Offer available while supplies last. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com sale.